Friends, let's open in our Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, I'm going to finish reading this chapter for us today. And as I read, I want us to listen carefully for what Paul is giving Timothy and then to us as our central aim. You're going to hear this central aim, and you're also going to hear two books that are at our disposal to move us towards what Paul is calling us to. So listen carefully as I read from 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 10. Hear now God's word. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the gift of this God-breathed book. I pray that this morning it would do its work and it would change us and it would train us for righteousness so that as men and women of God, we might be competent and equipped for every good work. We ask you to do the very thing that your spirit is eager to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, you heard this central aim that Paul is giving Timothy. He's saying to him and to us, this is what I want your life to be about. And it occurs in verses 14 and 15. But as for you, continue in what you have learned. And then he goes on to say, which is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This becomes our central aim as men and women of God, to become wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, the meaning of that complex phrase is going to become more and more clear as we study the two books at our disposal, but there's a hint hanging out there in the phrase, and it is in the word wise. Now, we're talking about faith in Christ Jesus. That's a topic that we've never left in this series, right? Because Paul told us right out of the gate in his first letter to Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's the gospel we began with. That's the gospel we continue I made a new friend this week who was visiting at CPC. We got to hang out together. And because of our backgrounds, we asked the question, are all world religions basically the same? I mean, are we all kind of pursuing the same God and doing it in the same way? And as we opened up passages like 1 Timothy 1 and Romans chapter 6, we said one of the hinges on which Christianity turns is the gospel, and it makes it different than any other faith or religion or rule of life. 
When we approach Good Friday, we approach a cross and we stand in the shadow of this cross. We acknowledge that we are sinners before a holy God. Every single one of us, as John said in our confession this morning, has rebelled against God and lived in a way that he has not created us to live. We've run from him and we've disobeyed him in thought and word and deed. And because of that, there is a punishment in store for us. But God in his grace and in his gospel, sent his son, Jesus Christ, that if we will see him with eyes of faith, who stood in our stead and was hung on the cross and bore the wrath of God, if we'll repent of our sins and believe in him, we will be raised to new life. That's the gospel. That's the good news of the gospel. When we gather in our new member interviews tonight, that's what we want to ask our friends. Do you believe this? Do you understand that you receive the gift of God by grace alone, not by works? This is not about perfect church attendance. This is not about reading the Puritans. This is not playing in the worship band. This is received by grace through faith in Christ Jesus alone. This is that gospel. Today we're talking about that same faith, but we're reminding ourselves that it is an animated faith. That is, it is a faith that makes us wise for salvation. It moves us, it changes us. This is not just nostalgia about what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. It is present and active today, and it consumes us as believers. So how is it that we grow wise for salvation? Well, I'm thrilled you guys are asking that question this morning because that's the direction we're going in. I want to show us two books that God gives us to make us wise for salvation. Now, most weeks, I typically practice my sermon on my kids. I have two kids that are five and seven, and I figure if I can't communicate it to them, there's no way I can communicate it to you on Sunday morning. So last night as I was tucking them in, I said, you know, God wants to make us wise for salvation. This is what it means. And he gives us two books. And Ami, my five-year-old, who's been attending the Juice and Jesus and learning the catechism, said, that's not true. There's only one book, the Bible alone. I said, touche, you got me. That's, that's absolutely true. We understand that the Bible alone is our rule for life and faith. This is the God-inspired book. This is where we're going to spend most of our time. But if you'll indulge me for a moment, unlike Ami, and let me um, explain myself a little bit, Paul actually offers a second book to Timothy. And this second book, which is secondary, is his life. Paul offers his life to Timothy. You heard the expression, my life is an open book. That's what we say to one another. I mean, Hillary Clinton wouldn't say that, but other people might say that. Oh, snap. Um, uh, What we simply mean is I'm living transparently before you. You can see what I do. You can see what I think. You can see how I live. This point about Paul's discipleship of Timothy is so critical because we as a church have set a target on the wall and we've said we want to be disciple-making disciples in a church-planting church. You've heard us say that again and again. And this is one of those many passages that allow us to distinguish what we're talking about from another kind of vision that says we're convert-making converts. Now, to be sure, we want people in our city to convert. We want people to be born again. We want our friends to cross from death to life, to know the one true God and know that he's available to us through the gospel. We want people to become believers, but that's not all we want for our membership. We want us as a body to be wise for salvation. 
That is, we want us as a body to be animated in our faith. In short, we want to be fellow disciples. One of the best places to see this kind of track of discipleship one to another is in Paul's relationship with Timothy. Or in the next letter, we study Paul's relationship to Titus. Sometimes we we can have a narrow view of discipleship. We think about discipling someone in terms of getting coffee with them once a month or going through a book together or looking at some curriculum. All of those are critical. All of those are important. All of those are part of discipleship, but they are a means to an end. Look at how Paul describes discipleship to Timothy in verse 10. He says this, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, and sufferings. Wow. By the time Paul is done with Timothy, and he is done with Timothy, Timothy has absorbed it all. He has seen Paul's life like an open book, and he has read all of these things. Paul's doctrine, his goals, his vision, his spiritual fruit. He's watched Paul suffer. He's seen how Paul spends his time and seen how he spends his money. He watches what Paul weeps over and what he laughs about. If Paul had a wife and a family, he would see how Paul continues to date his bride. He would see how Paul gets down on one knee and confesses his sins to his kids. Paul's life is an open book. Discipleship to young Timothy is everything, and it's showing him a transparent, animated life by faith. Paul can say in verse 14 to Timothy, remember not just what you have learned, but who you have learned it from. Isn't that interesting? The messenger never trumps the message, the the book of our lives. It never trumps this God-breathed book, but when we live this animated faith in front of another person, we put flesh on what we're talking about, and we show them what it means to be wise for salvation. Now, some of you, as you're coming into CPC, as you're joining our midst, you're, you're, you're asking the question, how do I get involved here, and what do I do? What's, what's my role here? How do I use my spiritual gifts that God has given me? I think those are fantastic questions, and I hope you are asking those. You'll realize early on that we don't have a lot of programs. We don't have a Sunday school class. We don't have a VBS. We don't put on conferences and those kind of things. I don't say that at all with a chip on my shoulder because I understand that churches use those for a good end. What I mean is there's not a position to plug you into the moment you ask for a job, right? I can't say, that's great, come and teach the middle school Sunday school class. That's great, we're putting on this conference, come and do that. What I can plead with you as a fellow believer to do in our midst is to take up this mantle of ministry. Would you do this without a title? Would you come into our midst and grab a fellow believer and open up your life to them like a book? Would you let them read it and study it and see what an animated faith looks like? I cannot commend that ministry high enough because if we get serious about doing that, we will be disciples who make disciples. This is a gift that God's given us in the church, each other, to disciple one another. Well, of course, the primary book, the secondary book is is discipleship and watching another life. The primary book, of course, is the Word of God. 
We read that Timothy was acquainted with the sacred scriptures from childhood. It says in verse 15 that Lois and Eunice, we heard those names before, that's his grandmother and mother, they taught him the scriptures from an early age, from childhood. Praise God for faithful women that teach their kids the Bible. What a passerby might mistake as a dingy dining room table, these women saw as a pulpit to open up the word of God and teach young Timothy. And when Timothy came out of his room and and got a, a bowl of frosted flakes, Lois and Eunice, they sat down with him and they said, Timothy, you need to know something. You need to know that there's a God in heaven who made you. You need to know that he loves you. You need to know that when our people were enslaved and knew little of God and couldn't even begin to prove any kind of obedience or faithfulness out of God's love and grace alone in Exodus chapter 2, he came down to rescue us. He led our people out of Egypt and out of slavery and into the promised land. He's given us the gift of his Ten Commandments and the book of Moses and the prophetic writings and the Psalms, and he teaches us what it looks like to live in a world that he's made and is going to inherit for himself. Lois and Eunice, they taught their son the word of God. What an incredible thing. You know, Just as a total aside, without any meaning to offend, um, sometimes Christian radio really irks me for several different reasons. But one specific reason this morning is the tagline that that all of them share. When you cross state lines, they've all got this same tagline. This this is something that's safe for your whole family. Now, I understand what they're saying. They mean you're not going to hear dirty language. You're not going to be embarrassed when you turn it on and your kids are in the car. But I hate having that word safe associated with anything that promotes the word of God because teaching the Bible to our kids is anything but safe. Lois and Eunice, they taught Timothy the word of God. When he becomes a man, he grows up and walks into the lion's den of Ephesus to plant a church, which very well may cost him his life. The word of God, learning the scriptures from childhood, is anything but safe in our midst. Paul lays this groundwork. He says, you have this, Timothy. And so he's able to remind him in verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. We hold in our hands this morning a God-breathed book. That is a book that's infallible, inerrant, true, whole, good in all its parts. This book alone is able to make us wise for salvation. Now, if you are a good evangelical, you affirm the inspiration of Scripture, right? You say that these words on this page are 100% man and 100% God. This is a God-breathed book. You affirm the inspiration of Scripture, But do you also affirm what Paul is saying here, that this book is profitable to us? Is it useful to you? Do you read it? Do you study it? Do you memorize it? Do you ask good questions of it? Do you talk about it with your friends and your spouse and your kids? Do you seek to apply this book? In short, is it profitable to you? Now, I'll be honest with you. This can be a confusing and a confounding book. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I haven't spent hours in front of these things trying to make heads or tails of what the Bible is saying. 
I love when Jenny Walsh came and gave her testimony in our church. And she said when she became a believer, she was ready to read the Bible cover to cover, but gave up at the third mention of a discharge. <laughs> I think that's awesome. And that's, that's a sentiment that many of us share when we try to read the Bible. In truth, the Bible claims that the smallest child in our midst can get something from it, right? The littlest one in our fellowship can, can, can grasp in this book that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. They can get it, they can believe it, they can die for that truth. The littlest child. But conversely, the Bible never claims to be bottom shelf material. It never claims that we can sleep in late, we can rush over a bowl of cereal reading a verse and get off to work and come home and fill our minds with Netflix streaming and that the word of God will do its work in us, right? It never makes that claim. That's not what Solomon has in mind when he writes in Proverbs 2, make your ear attentive to wisdom and incline your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Come to this book, mine it, search it, call out for it, pray over it, ask hard questions, wrestle with it, and this book will make you wise for salvation. Now watch the way the Bible describes itself. It gives us four words to help understand what process it's going to take us through when we come to it. The words are this in verses 16 and 17, teaching, reproof, correction, training. So the Bible is going to teach us. It's going to give us a body of doctrine to understand, to know, to believe, to be affected by in our hearts. It's also going to reprove us. That's akin to rebuke. It's going to show us where we're off course. But then it's going to correct us. It's going to realign us and bring us back on course. And finally, it's going to train us. It's going to come full circle. And we are going to be different because God's word by the power of his spirit in the truth of the gospel is going to change us. Now, I wonder if it would be helpful to illustrate these four words by something that's familiar to all of us as car owners, and that is getting our wheels aligned in our car. If you've never heard of that phrase and you own a car, you should see your mechanic this week to understand what that means. But this is part of routine maintenance for your car. You need to get your wheels aligned because um, a car is supposed to drive straight and true, but over time it begins to pull to the left or to the right, and if you don't correct it, it's going to begin to damage your car. It's going to begin to wear out your wheels. Think about the idea of the Bible teaching us with respect to wheel alignment. If you were to drive your car in an open field without any landmarks at all, you would never know the status of your alignment, right? If your car is pulling to the left or the right, you couldn't tell because there's no landmark to show you that. And it wouldn't actually help you to have other drivers on the field as well because you all might be pulling left and you would never know it. The only way you know anything about your wheel alignment is to get on the highway where you're between painted lines and then begin to drive your car because that will show your alignment very quick. The word of God is the exact same way. We live our lives in this this flat, open landscape and we cannot discern in American culture if we are leaning to the left or the right until somebody will open up this book and to show the lines on the highway. This is the body of doctrine. This is our teaching. Am I believing rightly? 
Do I know the triune God? Am I feeling rightly? Is my heart growing in love for God and neighbor and hatred of my sin? Am I acting rightly and doing the things that he's calling me to? Only teaching will show us that. Well, secondly, reproof happens. Once you have the body of teaching, once you have the the lanes on the highway, rebuke can happen because it's essentially pointing out the problem. Reproof rebuke, a prophetic word, those sound like really intense phrases when we talk about our relationship with another person, Um, but that depends on the problem. If you're riding down the highway and you've got somebody in the passenger seat and you begin to drift over the dotted line, your friend will say, I think something's wrong. But if you're in that same car and you're driving down the highway and you cross six lanes of traffic, your friend is going to scream, watch out, what are you doing? The word of God reproves us. It it rebukes us. And it does it gently in itself or by a friend picking it up and showing it to us. When we sit down with a friend over a cup of coffee, we can say to them in confidence over the word of God, I don't sense that you're believing rightly. When I talk to you, the God that you're following, the God that you serve, he seems absent in your suffering. It seems like when you cry out to him, he doesn't listen to you. And that's not the God I read in the Bible. That's not the God described in 1 Timothy 1. That's not the God described as a shepherd in Psalm 23. That's not the God who comes down in the Exodus, in Exodus chapter 2. You are believing wrongly about God. That's, That's rebuke. That's pointing out the problem. Number three is correction. Teaching is the line on the highway. Reproof is the gentle word identifying the problem. And now correction is finally taking our car to get it aligned. We understand the problem. We understand there's something up with it. We go to the mechanic and we get it realigned. Praise God that his word doesn't just reprove us. It realigns us. It puts us back in step with his spirit. It lets us see where we've gone off course and we can begin to follow him once again. This all comes full circle to this final phrase in uh, verses 16 and 17. A training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Now, do you guys know the feeling when you have an oil change or get your car washed and you drive off the lot? and you feel like your car is happy with you, you can't really prove that or put your finger on it, but you feel like it's responding to you in some deep spiritual way. It's just happy that you're taking care of it. That's kind of the language you see in the psalmist, right? When, when he has been brought on course, when he has been realigned with the word of God, the way he speaks about God's law as honey from a honeycomb, like silver and gold. You're listening to a person who's been realigned to the word of God, who is in step with the spirit, and it's sweet and it's good and it's true. These are the four ways the Bible describes itself. We know that this is not a clean process. All of us, this is messy. We go from training to rebuke back to training and then skip ahead to correction. But this is the process that the word of God leads us in because it is able to make you and I wise for salvation. Let's pray together. This is what we want, Lord. We want 
to be saved. We want to understand your gospel, but we want to be wise for salvation. We want a faith that animates our life, that trains us in righteousness, that makes us competent and equipped for every good work. I pray that you would do that in us and through us in our midst by your word and by fellow believers who will disciple us. In Jesus' name, amen.